those of you that don't know, Facebook has this fairly cool uh, thing where you can go live. So you can be on video and people can see you as it's happening. So I did a Q&A on the Arden's Day Facebook page, uh, mostly with parents of kids with type 1. Uh, but there were about 30 or more people in the, in the, uh, the Facebook live chat. So basically people gave me their questions and I did my best to answer them. So it's sort of like a talking head podcast, except that at the same time, there are other people involved. You just can't hear them. You can just hear me reading what they say. So this is a bonus episode, so there's no ads. You can listen straight through. And I think this went well enough that we're going to do it again sometime. So if you're interested, go to my Arden's Day Facebook page and follow, and you will get a, a notification next time we set up an event. And by we, I mean me, because, I mean, there's nobody else. Why did I say we? It's ridiculous. Okay, this is it. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast or here in a Facebook live chat should be taken as advice, medical or otherwise. I am not a doctor. This is not advice. You are definitely in charge of yourself. This is me telling you how I do things with my daughter. Just sharing. Kyle, you're still in your pajamas? earlier on the oh, I'm so sorry we'll do it later next time if people enjoy it we'll do it again so basically what's gonna happen is you guys can type whatever you want good morning Brandy and I will do my best to share my experiences with you and hopefully they'll be valuable if I don't have an answer I'll say I don't have an answer and we'll move on um, but you can kind of think of this as a follow-up to the podcast or if you ever heard anything on the podcast that you didn't kind of get or wanted to hear more about uh, if you're having something going on in your own personal life uh, feel free to bring that up and we'll do our best to work it all out together that makes sense somebody just start and if no one starts then I'm gonna start rambling and trust me none of you want that Basil's laying down in the kitchen seems like he's gonna be okay I have to turn down the brightness on the screen it's there we go now I look a little more human Okay, anybody want to start with a question? Or should we jump right into something? I can always talk about anything. Amy, question? Kelly, question? Hmm, okay. So I'll start. So this is the first week of school here in New Jersey. Arden is uh, three, four, about, about eight days into school now. And it's so interesting. Ah, Amy, there you go. Can I go into what Arden eats on a typical day? You once said she gave up cereal. What else has she given up? Okay, so she has given up cereal, but she still eats it periodically, um, usually when she's low. But in the last couple of months, I have to say every once in a while, she's like, I want a bowl of cereal, and we let her have it. But I'm so much better at bolusing for it now that uh, it's not as difficult. But giving up... I mean, we don't give it up, give it up. Like we still eat stuff. She still has cereal, rice, potatoes, store-bought bread, uh, bread from a restaurant, just very, very infrequently. And I think those are really the things, um, the highlights, honestly. You know, I stop buying bread in the store. I make it myself. It's a really simple recipe. doesn't seem to impact her blood sugar too much. Uh, we did have rice with dinner last night, um, but I would say rice happens a couple times a month. Potatoes are a little more of a staple around here, as perhaps you can see. Um, and so we do have potatoes a few times a week, but we combat those with, uh, you know, some pretty significant 
temp basils and pre-bolusing. You know, in the end, you know, anything with high fructose corn syrup in it, we've pretty much eliminated. Um, she does eat more vegetables than your average kid. She's kind of that person who would, uh, would pick up, you know, a uh, little broccoli while you were cooking and eat it raw, that sort of thing. But most mornings, not a big breakfast person while she's in school. At lunch today, she has a small grab bag of Doritos. She has a banana, a yogurt, a banana, a yogurt, four little famous Amish chocolate chip cookies. What else is in there, I'm thinking? And like a small, so if you can imagine like a half a slice of bread cut in half again with some Nutella on it. She doesn't really like sandwiches a whole lot. But I would guess there's probably 80 carbs in her lunch, 70 to 80 carbs. I'm going to end up giving her about nine and a half units of insulin. Um, she'll come home in the afternoon from school. Her blood sugar is normally a little uh, low at the end of the day, especially in the beginning of the year, because I was about to say, I think the anxiety from the new school year um, makes it increases her need for insulin during the school day. And then once she leaves school and she kind of relaxes, the insulin just sort of grabs a hold of her. Uh, yesterday she came home and had a chocolate chip cookie and potato chips, I think, to uh, stop a 76 diagonal down that became a 64 straight down. Um, and then she's um, not much of a snacker before bed. She likes popcorn, which I pop on my own in a pot with canola oil. Um, sometimes she'll have, yeah, I mean, sometimes she just has what everybody else is having. There's no real, um, no real limits except, you know, some of the things that just make sense. Rice, bread, potatoes, stuff like that. High fructose corn syrup. Does that answer your question? I had to refresh my screen to see what anybody else has typed. Here we go. Cool. Amy asked a question. She's very happy. Can I post the bread recipe? I think it's possible that I have posted the bread recipe. Hold on one second. And I use a bread machine. Uh-huh. Here we go. Copy. And bread recipe. Done. This is too easy. Yeah, there's the bread recipe. It's just a very simple, you know, I can tell you right now, it's water, milk, butter, sugar, salt, yeast, um, and flour. And I use vital wheat gluten, so it kind of raises up a little better, but it's a, it's a bread machine recipe. Um, it's the same thing, it's the same kind of concept while we're talking about it, I guess, as pancakes. So we struggled with pancakes forever. Um, and then one day I just made them myself. And I'm gonna give you that one too. And it's just a very simple, classic pancake recipe. But by the same kind of measure as the bread, it only has basic staples in it. This one's sugar, flour, baking powder, so baking soda, salt, milk, and egg, butter, and vanilla. And so it just doesn't seem to impact her as much. She can have like a pretty big stack of pancakes and we don't have too much problem. Julie, can you talk about your strategy for pre-bolusing when the BG is a little lower than you would like it to be? Absolutely, I can. Hello, Julie. What are we talking about? 80? 80, 80 and steady? 70 diagonal down? 60 and steady? I'm going to wait, Julie. Give me a starting point for the, for the story. 
you guys all saw the disclaimer, right? I'm not a doctor, you're not a doctor, nothing anybody says here should be taken as advice, etc. blah, blah, blah. Also, I'm recording this for a podcast, so the audio of it will be up soon, if it is in any way. Ah. Okay. Okay, I'm going to do Julie's question first, then Allison. Julie, if she's 80 and stable, I wouldn't call that low. I would call that winning. Um prior to a meal, that seems perfect to me. So Arden uses Apidra. She doesn't use Novolog. Um, everybody's insulin works differently for everybody. But as an example, at school last week, Arden's blood sugar was 140 15 minutes before, 15 minutes before lunch. And I wanted to give her eight and a half units for lunch. So I gave her an eight and a half unit bolus, I extended it, I gave her 50% up front, which would have been about four and a quarter, and I gave her the other 50% over a half an hour. Right after we did that, the fire alarm went off, and Arden got to lunch 15 minutes late. So in a half an hour, she was sitting down to eat, I believe her CGM said 64 straight down, which seems really scary with a huge half hour in, um, pre-bolus, which is not something I would normally do. But she drank half a juice, uh, just a little bit, like seven or eight carbs of juice first, and then she ate her lunch, and we actually were high an hour later because of the juice. So 80 and steady, seriously, great start for me. Um, if Arden was 80 and steady, I would pre-bolus dinner 10 minutes prior. Um, if it was a lot of insulin, I might break it up the way I just explained. I might give her an extended bolus. I might just bolus half of it. And then 15 minutes later when the food comes out, just or 10 minutes later when the food comes out, just bolus the other half on my own again, do two separate boluses. Um, as soon as I see the food going in, if it's a carb-heavy meal, then and I'm going to use a temp basil increase, then that's when I would kick that into to play. But, Julie, what I would say is, and if you listen to the podcast, um, and if, um, if you haven't, I would try it. Uh, but if, you, if you've listened to the podcast, I think you would hear me say a lot that most of this, you know, dance between the insulin and the carbs is understanding how the insulin works in your child's body or in your body. And so once you understand how long it takes a pre-bolus to affect you, um, once you understand what a temp basil might do to things, once you understand how far out your pre-bolus needs to be for you, is it five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it could be a half an hour for some people. You know, if Arden's blood sugar was 200, um, 45 minutes before dinner, I would and it took a unit to get her to 100, I'd give her two units and have her blood sugar running down by the time we ate and then put on the rest of the insulin then. So there's all different ways to do it, but once you understand how the insulin works, I think you can almost make any decision, or depending, it doesn't matter on the number or the time or what you're gonna eat. I think that, and you've heard me say it before probably, it's the timing of the insulin and the amount. If you've mistimed it or miscalculated it, your blood sugar is probably going to get high or get low. So it's timing and it's amount. Um, I would say that meal times seem like the most difficult times, but they're almost not once you get the flow of it because I assume steady, Joy, thank you. Um, I, I think once you get the flow of it, it really isn't. My camera rig, by the way, is very rudimentary. I'm going to have to do something better for next time. I think once you get the flow of the bolusing, it just all makes sense. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Arden left softball practice and 
one of the moms had donuts from Dunkin' Donuts. So her blood sugar was like 90. I gave her, I mean, how the hell do I know how much I need insulin for a Dunkin' Donut? A lot, you know? So I gave her a lot. And, you know, what is a lot? It was a unit and a quarter more than I thought it was going to take. So give her that, eats the donut, gets home. We're all hungry. No one made dinner. What are we going to do? We're going to order Chinese food. Okay. So the bolus for the donut was working. I ordered the food. I went to pick it up. And when I was at the restaurant leaving to go home, I texted my wife. And I think Arden's blood sugar by then was like 110. And I said, okay, it's 110. It's been an hour since the donut. So there's a ton of insulin in there, but there's also this crazy donut. I gave her half of her bolus right then. And I was maybe eight minutes away from the house. So I think that was about four units. Then I got home, doubled her ins- her basil for two hours for the Chinese food, and then gave her the other half of the bolus. Um, I hope that answers your question. And now I'm reading Allison's question and drinking some iced tea. Allison says, I see you post Arden's numbers and her rise and falls look so smooth. I'm having a difficult time doing this for my son. I've been adjusting his basils and his bolus and his Omnipod, but I always seem to get spikes when not enough bolus, quick drops with too much basil. I'm not finding the perfect amount. Allison, tell me something in the comments. Is it Novolog? Vidal, how are you? Some of you I've spoken to on the phone before. Okay, I'm gonna start answering Allison. I'm assuming she's probably using Novolog or Humalog. So Allison, I would say it's sort of just another example of what I just talked about. If you're having if you're having spikes and then lows later, the the insulin's mistimed. So Allison, I don't know how old you are. I can't kind of tell in your tiny little avatar. But I sort of think of it as um, overlays in a projector. You know, when we were in school and they would write on plastic and put on an overhead projector. If you think of two separate pieces of plastic and one of them has, you know, what the, what the blood sugar is doing on it, drawn on it, and one of them has what the insulin's doing on it. At some point, the blood sugar's trying really hard to go this way and the insulin's trying really hard to go that way. You need to make sure those two things line up. So that tug of war between the insulin and the carbs is happening at the same time. That's mostly the timing of the pre-bolus and the amount of the pre-bolus. So the goal is, is that after that big fight happens, that the carbs are gone and the insulin's gone. If you can make that happen, then you don't get low afterwards because there's nothing left. There's no insulin left. So again, it's timing and amount of insulin. Now, now here's what I think is important for everybody, not just for Allison's question. I don't think there's any mistakes to make with insulin. I think you, if you have a CGM, you can be more aggressive. But at the same time, I think what I would say is this. If you don't have a CGM, you can still be a little aggressive, right? You you can't be maybe as, but you can be still a little aggressive. Let me move my chair down just a scotch. Hey, that's much better. And, um, And here's why, right? Let me collect my thoughts here. I'm going to give it to you in one kind of cohesive thought. It's easy to say the timing of the insulin is important, but you also have to be comfortable doing it. And 
the comfort comes from trying. It's trial and error. Everything's trial and error in the beginning. So don't think of something that goes wrong as a mistake, right? Like if you choose an amount of insulin and bolus it and a half an hour later, you're like, wow, she's 60 after she ate. That's lower than I wanted. That's not a mistake to be sad about. That's information for next time. So, so you have to, you have to make all those screw ups so that you can get information back. And this is where I talk about sort of being aggressive with diabetes, sort of attack it before it attacks you. And here's what I mean. If you and I are going to fight right now and I come at you, you are on the defensive. Everything you do after that is defending. When it's over and I asked you what happened, you'd be like, oh, this crazy guy came at me. I held my hands up and I tried to outlast him, right? But if you come at me first and you attack me, then you're, you're affecting the situation first. So attack the diabetes, the blood sugar, if the blood sugar is 200 and you give X amount of insulin and when it's done, you're 70, you think, huh, that's pretty close. If when you're done, you're 50, you think, nah, that was too much. But the information that comes back to you is what you use for next time. So you have to make the mistakes. And then here's the key, not get upset at yourself, not be sad, not be devastated, not be thrown. You make the mistake and then you take the information that comes back from it and you adjust yourself for next time. And then one day it's not a mistake anymore. One day you're kicking the ass of donuts and Chinese food in the same hour and a half. Allison, I like you. I think we're done. All right, hold on. Typical day. I think I have to refresh. Or do I? Hey, Vidal says growth spurts. And seven-year-old Paloma is constantly riding very high at night during sleep. We are now fast-tracking the Omnipod to try to bag your regulator. Okay, so Vidal, you're still using injections. And I think we talked on the phone once, and you split your, um, your splitting basal insulin um have you considered doing it a little unbalanced put um more basal at the nighttime half of the injection than in the daytime half or use a little more there i mean that could help um you know the the, the issue is that at some point of course the growth part's going to stop and then that's going to be the night you're going to be drinking drinking a juice um i know you don't want to inject probably while she's sleeping but I mean, these growth spurts usually last three, four days. So I think you're just, you're probably just stuck with more insulin. More insulin is your, probably your answer. You can get her a little better hydrated for, before she goes to bed to try to help her slow acting insulin be a little more effective. Um, you can maybe make her bedtime snack a little earlier to give you a chance to get that out of the way. Um, but I would maybe try a little more. And if you are splitting your basal insulin a little more, at night than you are in the morning. And for anybody who doesn't do that, but Al and I talked a couple months ago, I don't even know how long it was now. And I told him that back when we did MDI, uh, multiple daily injections, we split Arden's slow acting insulin to two different injections, 12 hours apart. So if uh, round numbers, if your slow acting insulin is 10 units a day, instead of doing 10 units when you wake up or 10 units before you go to bed, we were doing five when she woke up and five before she went to bed 12 hours later. Uh, which sometimes gives you a steadier um, draw with the insulin. And hey, there's 20 people in here. We're doing good. Um, I saw another question go up, but I have to find it. All right, ready? I got to refresh. I could just use my phone, but my phone is my camera. I'm going to have to uh, figure this out a little better for next time. 
Okay. CGM's definitely worth the money. I can see you guys talking to each other. Um, if you can afford it, it is pretty much the greatest thing ever. All right. Let me see. I am now officially having trouble seeing your comments. Hold on a second. Wow. Oh. Camera rig going down. All right. Here we go. At what age did it become easier to tighten Arden's ideal range? Jennifer asks. Right now we are dealing with sensitivity factor of 450 for our four-year-old. I'm having a hard time tightening our range between 70 and 170. 70 and 170, Jennifer, for a four-year-old, not bad at all. Um, is it an insulin pump? So I think it's a process, tightening the range. And what I would say is this. You've got, if you've got, if your CGM, if you have a CGM, I guess I need to know, but if you're, um, if you're using a CGM, then keep, and this is for everybody, if you're using a CGM, keep pressing the high threshold lower and lower and lower, because don't think of it as this thing that's going to alarm and make me crazy. Think of it as I need to know when the blood sugar is going up so I can act quicker so I can stop it. You don't want to find out your blood sugar has been going up for an hour when you get to 200, you want to find out that your blood sugar is intending to go up when it gets to 130 or 140. Um, I just think that is a huge part of stopping those high blood sugars because, you know, once, hey, Kelly Griffin, once you get higher, obviously it is harder to come down. That's another sort of staple of how I take care of Arden. I would say this, it is much easier to stop a falling blood sugar or to affect a low blood sugar and make it a little higher than it is to bring a high blood sugar down. High blood sugars are stubborn, they require more insulin, you kind of lose your nerve in that moment. You know, if you see a blood sugar that's 250 and it's been sitting there for an hour and you think, well, the pump is telling me that a, a unit will bring it back down, it's probably more, it's probably twice as much, but it's hard to make that leap. And instead, you kind of like, you kind of nickel and dime it. You hit it with a half. You think, oh, that'll move it a little bit. It doesn't. You come back when you get a little ballsier and you go 0.75 and then that doesn't work. And then before you know it, you make this huge bolus. And now you have all the little boluses and the huge bolus at the same time. You just got to be aggressive up front. But to your specific question um, about trying to tighten that range, I would think that it's more about reacting sooner to a rising blood sugar. And I think of, for those of you who are using a CGM, I think of that arrow as something I'm trying to stop. So when the arrow starts going up, I want it to stop. If, as a, as a, as a way of an example, if your blood sugar is 100, and all of a sudden you, and you think you've given enough insulin for this food you've eaten, and all of a sudden you have a, an arrow straight up, and it's 110, and it's 120, and it's 130, you can't just bolus for the 30 points that you're above right now, because you're rising, you know, you could be rising three, four, five, you know, points a minute, and as that's happening, before the insulin even has a chance to get in and start working, you bolus for, you know, 30 points of uh, blood sugar. But by the time the insulin starts working, you're 70 or 80 points higher than that. So now all that insulin you, you put in does is stops the arrow. But it stops it at 190 or 220. And now there's not enough insulin there to address that blood sugar between the 220 and the 100 again. If, you, if I see a 50 straight up, I give Arden enough for the 50 points over the 100. 
I give her enough to stop the arrow, and I give her a little more to bring it back down again. So it's significantly more insulin than you would think based on what a doctor has told you or based on what your pump settings tell you. And so say that you get into that situation and you use a half a unit, like just as a, a number. And when you're all done, just like I said, you go to 220. And then it takes a unit and a quarter to bring her back down again. Well, then what it really took was 1.70 units of insulin. So you could have given the 1.7 probably right up front. And then what would have happened was instead of going here to 220 and then hanging and going down, you would have gotten here, it would have curled right around and gone like this again. It's the timing of the insulin and the amount. All right. Is everybody enjoying the podcast? Is there something I should be doing in the podcast that I'm not doing? Um, someone sent me a very nice email yesterday that said that they would like me to talk more about sports with tubed pumps. I don't have any actual experience with sports with tubed pumps, but I can try to find a parent who does and get them on. I'm probably just going to ask the person who emailed me to come on and talk about it. Let's see what else we got here. Anybody got anything going on for the weekend? Jennifer, I did good, and you're using a CGM. All right, thank you, that's excellent. So I would say this too, here's something, if I've spoken to you on the phone, at the end of our conversation, I have very likely said to you, you need to trust yourself more. Um, I would take this away from this little chat. Every person I've ever spoken to about blood sugars and diabetes, by the time I get to the end of the conversation, I am drawn to tell them most of the reactions you're having are right. And what happens is, is you see things happening in your life and they don't jive with what a physician's telling you. The doctor's telling you do this, but what you're seeing doesn't match up with it. Trust your gut is what I end up telling most people. If you are in that position where you're like, this doesn't seem to match with this, and the only thing stopping you from doing something you think is right is, a, is, is another person telling you not to do it, then, I, I mean, I would try. I try in my life. If a doctor tells me, hey, I would use a unit here and I use a unit and it doesn't do it, well, then the next time I use a unit and a quarter. And if that didn't do it, then I use a unit and a half. And I keep going. I keep pushing. Please don't wait three months to go back to ask the person who gave you the advice that didn't work the first time what you should do next because I think most of you know what to do next. I have spoken to very few people in 10 years who I've hung up the phone with later and thought, wow, what a moron. <laughs> like no one, I never feel that way. I usually talk to people like you who are motivated, um, who desperately want to give their kids or themselves uh, uh, an existence where their blood sugars aren't banging around, making them feel sick, keeping them from enjoying their lives or just enjoying their own thoughts. You guys are all mostly just rock stars who are trying to understand something that you haven't really gotten enough information about. And then all of a sudden somebody else comes in and gives you, you start seeing it for what it is. And if it was any other walk of your life, right, you would just do something about it. If you walked out of your sidewalk every morning, and you slipped on ice, you would throw salt down. You wouldn't wait for like a sidewalk specialist to tell you what to do about that. If your kitchen caught fire, you would put water on it. Um, you wouldn't call the doctor and ask them what they think. But for some reason, if this much insulin makes your kid's blood sugar this high, nobody wants to take the leap to use this much insulin. I think you have to decide who you are in the situation. Are you somebody who's going to sit with a 200 and, and take four 
endo appointments to get down to 140? Or are you somebody who's going to look at 200 and say, uh, this is, doesn't seem right to me. I got to do something. Um, and I think most people end up knowing who they are. And I've, you know, you know, let's just say, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, you know, with the CGM, it's, it's, it's easy to talk like this because you can be bold, you can be out front, you can see if a blood sugar is falling, but you can also accomplish this with, with, with MDI and testing. You just have to test in those spots where you don't normally test. You have to become, you have to become your own CGM. You don't, uh, shoot insulin 10 minutes before a meal and then test three hours later, that's meaningless. You need to shoot insulin for a meal and test 45 minutes later. Then you know something. All right, question. Um, so do you just yo-yo on levels until you figure out how to react on timing with the amount of your particular diabetic? I'm getting so far. Cameron, it only takes a weekend. And, you, and stacking insulin, it's not stacking insulin. If you're using a CGM, it's using the amount of insulin that's necessary. I said it earlier. If I use a unit and I go to 180, it might have been a unit and a half I needed. So next time, I use a unit and a half. If at the end of my ordeal of this big peak, I ended up using three units, I probably should have used the three units up front. And if you have a CGM, you can cut it off. It's not stacking at that point. Nobody thinks of it as stacking. Once you stop with the roller coastering, then you can do bumps. Then you can see a 120. I bolused a 120 while Arden was at school yesterday. I saw a 120. I was like, I don't want 120. I want 85. Eh, point two. Let's see what happens. Eh, like that. Beautiful. Right? Um, the roller coaster. Here's some good advice for camera for everybody. And Friday, it makes it better advice. Take the weekend. And it's going to be a little boring for your kid, but make the same or very similar meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday, because that gives you a chance, right? Because then the, the variables don't change on your end. So then tomorrow at lunch, you can try a pre-bolus of a certain amount at a certain time and see what happens. And then the next day with the same meal, do it again and then refine what you've done. Do the same thing with dinner. Um, Honestly, Cameron, when I talk to people on the phone and we talk about stuff like this, four days, I usually get someone sending me a CGM chart in four days that says, wow, look how much better this is. And two weeks later, they're making me look like I don't know what I'm doing. So take the, take the, the, attack the diabetes, take the data that comes back to you, use it to make a better decision the next time. All right. What did Angie say? Hold on a second. All right, hold on. Let's go with this first. Yeah, Scott, I have an 11-year-old diagnosed in March, very active in baseball tournaments. Any advice for pregame and postgame to avoid highs and lows? Dexcom and Omnipod. Yes, this one's easy. First of all, are you getting highs and lows? Or is it just something you're worried about? This, again, big deal. Don't worry about things that aren't happening. That's some good advice right there. Um, but if something's happening, then do something. Arden carries uh, juice boxes in the dugout. Um, prior to, you know, prior to, you know, you're going to know as well as anybody else. If your kids are really active in sports, sometimes there's a lot of running around. You can't just sit down all the time and make this perfect meal at the perfect time before. Sometimes you got to eat that, get in the car. So in a, in a perfect situation, going out to baseball practice at night, I like Arden to have dinner like an hour before practice is going to start. That way 
I can pre-bolus, the food goes in, the insulin and the food have their fight. It's mostly over when she gets there. If she ends up high, I feel pretty safe using more insulin. If she feel, ends up low, it's pretty easy. It's not too low, it's easy to bump it up with a little bit of juice. Um, you know, something stable in your stomach, you know, a donut before practice is probably not a great idea, but something stable, um, something that's not gonna drive you too high or be too sugary so you get a peak and then a crash. Um, but mostly, I don't do a lot of adjusting until it comes to game time. And I've talked about this a million times. If Arden plays in a contested game, if the score makes a difference, she gets adrenaline and her blood sugar shoots up. And then I end up having to bolus for adrenaline. The problem with bolusing for adrenaline is, is while the blood sugar is trying to do this and you push it down with the insulin and you're pushing and pushing and pushing, when the contest ends, if the insulin's still there, boom, like that. So sometimes you have to bolus adrenaline and then feed the bolus afterwards. Um, but otherwise, she's fairly stable when she's active. Uh, I don't see a lot of activity lows, especially because sports is, is you know tough as they are sometimes. Unless it's basketball it's not or soccer, it's not terribly anaerobic usually, uh, especially baseball. I mean, people, you know, you know as well as I do, my son and my daughter play. There's more standing around than there is doing anything. So I would say don't panic. Um, if you can keep her stable standing in your living room, I think you can keep her stable on a baseball field. Or him, excuse me. All right. We've been at this for 35 minutes. Are people bored? Should I stop? Should I keep going? Sharon, can you give advice? By the way, Sharon, none of this is advice. Nothing you hear on the Facebook live chat is advice, medical or otherwise. I posted a disclaimer at the beginning. Can you give advice for how you handle sports with Arden regarding range of her numbers? Sure. I'm always keeping my daughter on the higher side because I'm afraid of her crashing low in the field. She plays field hockey. All right, so field hockey, a lot of running. Uh, but I think over 180, I see Arden's foot speed decrease. Even over 150, I think it affects her, her, um, her hand-eye coordination. Perf in a perfect situation, I guess. I mean, I like it lower. I like it if Arden plays between, um, you know, I've seen her on the field at 80. I've seen her on the field at 90, at 100, 110. I'm comfortable in all those spots, depending on the situation, right? 80, and I just gave her a bunch of insulin, that's not good. But 80, and she ate two hours ago, and her insulin's two and a half hours old, and I don't usually see a tail after two hours. Uh, with a pedra, then I'd let her out there at 80. And if it made me nervous, I would bump it slightly. Six, eight ounces, uh, six or eight carbs worth of juice. Try to turn the 80 into a 90 maybe. That's it. Um, just bumping. At that point, it's getting stable and bumping it, bumping it. Bump it a little higher, bump it a little lower. Hopefully you don't have to make any giant you know, juice box consumptions or big or big boluses, because then you're going to start going like this. If you can just take a 150 and go, okay, you know, you see the problem is you see 150, Sharon, you think that's not bad. What I see a 150, I think that's going to turn into a 190. I know it is. And so I bump it down. And if I can make a 150, a 120, then I feel like I've won. And, uh, but you know, for the range, the range is for the situation. Like again, like I don't think you want to try to control it too much. I think you want to sort of you want to stay fluid. I guess is the best way. Stay, stay relaxed. Go with it. If she's, 
you know, I've seen my daughter step out on a softball field and her blood sugar's 200 and I try to be dainty about it and give her like 0.6 and then all that ends up happening is a half an hour later, she's still 200. So I would rather crush that 200 and catch it with juice than let it sit there. Um, and I think that uh, goes to what I said earlier about it's much easier to affect a low or falling blood sugar than it is to affect a high one. I am a big proponent of crushing high blood sugars and getting them squashed quickly and then having the nerve as it's falling to not use too much just so you get a nice landing. When you panic, then you're screwed. If you, if you, if you see 150 straight down, like if I see a 150 straight down, I think, yay. I don't think, oh my God, no. Um, I don't start thinking about juice until I get to either double arrows down, um, even under around 120 or a single arrow down under 90, 85, then I start thinking we need to do something. If I see a, a 110, one arrow down, I'm in the back of my head going, boy, this could be an 85. This could be an 85. I hold tight as long as I can. And we test to make sure we're right in that situation. Um, uh, Angie, talk more about sports on the podcast. Um, I may have, but we'll do it again. How's the Apple Watch? Oh, this is the old one. I have first world problems. I'm using the old Apple Watch. It's almost a year old. But it's pretty good. I got Arden's blood sugar here. She needs some insulin. She's 145. Um, actually, let's see something. During the night, stubborn highs, 216. Giving corrections and raising bolus, 25% of course. That's right. Not enough raise, Danielle. More bolus, or more basil. Hold on one second. I'm going to tell Arden to bolus. Bolus. What do we want to do? 0.5. I tried 0.6 last time and nothing happened. That's it. Um, yeah, Danielle, I think temp basils, for me, when I temp basil, I double it. I don't like, I mean, unless it's, you know, if I'm trying to move a 110 to 90, I might bump it up a little bit to see if I can get a drift. But if I've got a blood sugar, she said, okay, we're bolusing. Um, if I've got a blood sugar that's really stubborn, and, you know, also that's another good point is stubborn blood sugars, I attack with basil and bolus most of the time. So if Arden's blood sugar is at 216 and it won't move, I would double her basil, like increase 95% for an hour, and I'd bolus. The numbers are meaningless to you because it's going to be different. But again, um, for some reason, temp basils seem to be... It's not for some reason. It's because a 216 is harder to affect with insulin than a 116 is. If you gave, if your daughter's 216 and you gave her this bolus and she doesn't move, especially in this puberty situation, but if she was 116 and you gave her the same amount of insulin, she ends up being 40. It just, it's because higher blood sugars are more uh, stubborn and they require more insulin. So I give some of it with the basil and some of it with the bolus. Um, what else do we have here? Wow, you guys asked a lot of questions. This is cool. Um, I'm trying. So do you bolus or adjust basil? Cameron. Uh, hold on. Cameron, uh, So I just answered it. Sometimes both. Uh, Bill, hey, how do you keep a Dexcom sensor on? We use SkinTac and Tyragon in the last four days. We have to keep it on. I use Opsite FlexiFix. Uh, it's available on Amazon. And... Uh, 
I have that little puncher that some great person found it at Michael's Craft and Floor Extravaganza Center, and uh, cut out a little square, punch this thing in the center, makes a perfect uh, hole for the Dexcom. I trim it in a circle. I barely let it overlap the um, the Dexcom adhesive, maybe maybe a quarter of an inch around the whole thing, and um, I just put it on over top and push it down. She's Arden's had her Dex on. Now we're in our third week of the sensor she's wearing right now. She's been at softball practice a number of times, obviously showering, uh, school, gym, everything else. So Opsite FlexiFix. Um, I can see if I have it on the blog real quick. And I do. Hold on. This blog is 10 years old. It's got a little bit of everything on it at this point. Actually, the blog's nine years old. Arden is 10 years old. Uh, has had diabetes for 10 years. I don't know who I don't know who named it Bill Opsite FlexiFix. That person obviously is odd, but there you go. Um, I know other people are using like tough grips and grip. I don't know what all the stuff's called, um, but you know this stuff's cheap. It's twenty five dollars for a roll that lasts me a couple years, so uh, cheap and it works. I like. Um, how long do you wait before making? Heather says adjustments to insulin carburetors and basal on a pump. It seems like since I'm starting school, I'm adjusting her profiles a lot. I don't adjust it too much, but at the same time, if a couple of two, three days go by and the same thing's happening, it could be an indication. The other thing is, you could make that adjustment. And what you know, beginning of school could be nerves. It could be you know, it could be nervousness or something like that. You might end up having to switch it back afterwards. Um, you could start with temp basals. And just, you know, bumping the, the, I mean, listen, when, when I tell Arden bolus for 60 units or for 60 carbs, that number that comes up on the pump is almost never the amount of insulin I give her. So, um, you should make some adjustments yourself. You know, don't just go by what it says. If you think if, you know, if it's saying a unit, you think it's 1.3, then make it 1.3. Um, if you're trending high all day, then your basal rates aren't, aren't, aren't right. Give her more basal or him more basal. Um, and then if you see that working for a number of days, then it's probably worth adjusting for forever. Um, Stacy, how do you extend bowls for things like pizza and such percentage and time? Okay. So Stacy, it's going to be different for everybody. Right. But, um, what do we do if, uh, we were going to have pizza, I would, work hard to get Arden's blood sugar down where it needs to be prior to the pizza. So I would want to be pre-bolusing pizza already at 90. Like I don't want to be 150. And if I'm 150, then I'm going to crush the 150 with a pre-bolus. You know, if, if, if Arden was 150, 15 minutes before pizza, I would, I would give her the, I would give her for 60 carbs, which is pretty much two slices, which is about what she can eat. I'd add another unit for the 150 and I'd crank up her basil. I would just, I would just crush it because again, it would be easier to stop a low than it would be to fight with the pizza high. I would rather see Arden be 70 an hour after pizza and need something else than for her to be 350 after pizza. I'm always attacking a lower number. Um, you know, I know some people do extended boluses because they like to keep the insulin in longer. That can work. Uh, you might need a little more insulin when you're doing something like that. You could end up, then you have to decide, you know, how long does the pizza stay in your son's system? Is it, is it going to be affecting his blood sugar for an hour? Is it going to be two hours? And that's pretty much how long you have to do the temp basal for. Keep in mind that 
temp basils don't start affecting the system for somewhere between 30 and 60 minutes. So if you send, you set a temp basil right now, it's not going to start affecting the blood sugar for half an hour, at least. Uh, but just keep trying, you know, do it once, see what happens, make your next adjustment, keep, you know, uh, keep getting the, the information back from your mistakes, which aren't mistakes and, and keep going, make better decision the next time. Yes, Allison, everybody has uh, pretty much a problem with morning insulin resistance. Do I have different bolus and basal rates throughout the day and night? Um, a little bit. She's a, she gets a little less overnight than she does during the day, but I also make some, you know, day-to-day -day adjustments with temp basils. So um, this morning, for instance, Arden was nine, Arden was at 6.30 this morning, Arden's blood sugar was 75 straight down. I didn't think that's what she was, so I tested. She was 103. Um, I wasn't sure if the straight down hour was real or if it was just a compression low. I got the feeling it was a compression because I saw it jump on the CGM real quickly, but I still cut her basal back for a half hour by 50% because I wanted to go back to sleep for like 20 minutes. She got up. She was 91 and stable. I thought, ooh, we're winning. As soon as she started getting ready for school, her blood sugar started climbing up. By 8 o'clock... I doubled her basal for an hour and bolused for a 140 diagonal up. Um, and she's kind of been stuck at 140 ever since. I've given her a fairly significant amount of insulin this morning and uh, it's not doing it. But it takes me about two weeks to figure out school after school starts. And I'm halfway there right now. Um, so I would temp it for a while. And, um, you know, I mean, you know, trying to set multiple basils throughout the day works great. Like on Tuesdays, if there's gym and your kid's always low at gym, then an hour before gym, I would set a temp basil. And it's a great idea. Um, but, you know, only those things that you can be 100% sure of. Otherwise, you know, you know, on the days that doesn't work, you're taking away basil that they need. 13-year-old son, um, stubborn highs during the night, cracked and raised basil rates, and nothing happens in water. Danielle, you're doing everything right. More insulin, more basil. Like I said, a little more. Uh, you're welcome. Somebody said thank you. Advice on how to handle it. Get that. Hold on, I'm scrolling. Scrolling. At what age should it be given easier? Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. All right. I shouldn't be on Facebook. I'm not very good at this. Hold on a second. How do I tell the difference between need to change insulin to carb basal versus basal? Okay, uh, Julie, um, you know, if, if without food in a fasting situation, your blood sugar's high, that's probably your basal rate. And if you're spiking after a meal or incapable of affecting a high blood sugar, that's the insulin to carb ratio. My best guess. All right, I'm gonna refresh again. It looks like Judy frustrated with Williams numbers. He's five. The flu flu sucks. Could barely get his numbers about 50 yesterday. We gave him six years. Sucks. Not okay. Judy, that's pretty much. That sounds like the flu. Um, you have to have insulin. You can't not have insulin. Um, and if you do, then you're going to get ketones. You're going to have a whole different problem. The flu sucks because you are you need to keep the insulin going, and you're going to end up. You know, you might have maybe tried sports drinks that are really sugary or something like that. Um, you know, 
but nothing was going to help. You were just, this is the flu with diabetes. Um, I wish I had a better answer for you. I do not. The flu sucks. Diabetes sucks. Put them together. It's double sucky. Uh, it sounds like you did everything that was right. I know it, it really is. It breaks your heart to see their blood sugar be that low. Uh, if, if, he was, if William was having trouble keeping food down, I would obviously understand that. But you could have gone with... Uh, you know, some sort of a bread, a piece of a bagel, something that would have sat in his stomach longer, taken longer, because that's the difference between slow and fast-acting carbs, right? You put it, you put in that a fast-acting carb, and sometimes it's you know it hits you and then it's gone right away, and whatever's pulling you down, the juice is gone and it's going again. But you put a bagel, a soft pretzel, a hard pretzel, something in there like that, that could sit in your, you know, reverse engineer the problem of pizza. Why do people have trouble with pizza? They have trouble with pizza because it sits in their stomach forever. It's high in carbs and it just keeps, it breaks down so slowly, just giving off carbs, giving off carbs, giving off carbs. If William could have kept something down, you needed something like that in his stomach to just sit in there and, and kind of constantly push in the other direction. Tara, I don't think it's too soon to start a pump when you're newly diagnosed um, at all. I think you're 100% right. I wish people, if they wanted them, could leave the hospital with a pump and definitely a Dexcom. I don't see any reason not to at this point. Um, if you feel ready for a pump, you should push your endo to give you one. If they tell you they don't, they think it's too soon, tell them you don't care what they think and just write the script that you're getting a pump. Kim White, when you increase the basil and bolus for a stubborn high over 200, do you go with suggested pump? More, Kim, more. High blood sugars are stubborn, can be stubborn. I might do a combined temp basil with a bolus um, or just uh, crushing bolus and then maybe ready to catch the low on the other side if it comes up oh tara the the punch i always want to do a po um, a blog post about the punch but i never have time i don't have a lot of time for blogging anymore this podcast takes up a lot of time uh stacy keeps getting question marks on the decks doesn't that sucks um <laughs> i've had that happen before i would try different sites um, and see if you have a different luck with different sites. I think that would be a good place to start. Arden uses her hips, uh, so not on the side of her hip and not back on her butt, but if there was a spot between the hip and the roundness of your buttocks in the middle there, she has a nice spot. We go left and right, left and right, back and forth. Uh, you know, some people do backs of their arms. I've seen people do their legs. If you're an Olympic skier, you might put it right on your chest, um, but I would try different sites, Stacy. And stay hydrated. Everyone's going to say hydrated, which they're 100% right about. I'm going to refresh again. All right, guys, we're going to have to wrap it up in a little bit. I have to go down to the city for the weekend with my son. He is going to try to impress a college baseball coach. Oh, Judy, the flu was over four days ago, and he's eating pretty much normally on. You still can't get them up. You, Judy, you got to change the temp basil until he comes back. And you're going to have this horrible moment where everything's going to go back to normal again. I'm sorry to tell you. And then her blood sugar is going to shoot up and you'll have to get it back. But yeah, you have to temp basil down and don't just do it for a while. Do it for the whole day if you have to. Um, if he's still 54 days after the flu. And obviously he's still fighting something. Um, but if he's keeping food down, less basil. Um, try hard to forget everything you know about diabetes for a couple of days and just... Just do what you're seeing, not what you think should be happening. All right, guys. I need somebody to tell me if we're done, if we like this, if we should do this again. Um, 
I want to remind everybody that I'm not a doctor. This was not advice. Uh, if anything I have said here uh, lands your kid in the hospital, you shouldn't have listened to me. Do what my wife says. Never listen to me. She would never, ever listen to me about anything, about the color of the paint on the wall, about the tile that's in the kitchen. She doesn't understand. I told her not to get basil. She did. I, uh, I told her we shouldn't have two kids. She did that. I told her we shouldn't buy a house. She, she ignores me every turn. And our life goes really well. So ignoring me is probably your best bet. Um, but seriously, if you've heard anything here that seems valuable to you, excuse me, talk to your doctor about it. And if they absolutely are against what you're saying, you know, get a different doctor. Um, I would say this. I will say that I get, I've been getting a lot of notes from you guys because of the podcast, which is really great. And sometimes I'm going to share a story with you that's not connected to anybody's name. This person contacted me and said, hey, I've been listening to the podcast. I got my kid's A1C from like eight and a half to like six and a half. And this person was thrilled. And you're all going to think, you know, there might be a lot of you. It's like, that's me. You're not the only one that sent an email. But, you know, this person was really, really thrilled. They went to their doctor and the doctor said, what are you doing? You can't do this. The A1C is too low. Assuming that the kid's standard deviation was terrible because... A, uh, you know, this doctor thought an A1C of six and a half, you must be doing something wrong. This kid's blood sugar must be 50 all the time if you're getting this six and a half. And she said, no, we're real stable. And she started talking to him about pre-bolusing food and a podcast. And by then he probably thought she was crazy. Um, but he kept pushing back and said, no, you can't do this. This is wrong. She was very, very upset when she left there. Um, but she was doing the right thing. She contacted me back and I said, look, if he's not swinging high to low, if you're a stable and that's how you're achieving a 6.5, it's great. Point is, some doctors don't understand the technology and they don't understand how to use it really well. A Dexcom CGM is not a don't die alarm. It is not just on you so you don't have a problem while you're sleeping or while you're playing sports. If you are only using the Dexcom for that, you are severely underutilizing it. You need to use that Dexcom as moment-to-moment -moment decision making as you know set your threshold so it tells you hey you're 130 diagonal up good i'm glad i know that because i don't want to be 130 i want to be 90. hey you're 90 diagonal down great i want to know that now so i can go back to 100. i don't want to get to 60 and then have to go like this again bumping 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 and so um you need to do what's right you need to follow your heart you need to do this I, i'll leave you with this idea when my daughter's um, A1C or blood sugar is too high or too low, I know in my heart that she is not living the same life she would if her blood sugar was stable. And a lot of what I do and a lot of what I've learned has come directly from the idea that I just want Arden to be herself, to have the opportunity to be herself. And everyone struggles in the beginning. Don't kill yourself over it right now. But a 150 blood sugar is 60 points higher than my blood sugar is right now. You know, a 200 blood sugar is double. You can very easily, there's a podcast with a woman who admitted very easily she got comfortable with her son's blood sugar being 200 and she just stopped. And I told her, if you can keep that kid's blood sugar stable at 200, you can keep it stable at 90. And now she does. So it's a lot of you, obviously. It's understanding the time of the insulin. It's making decisions before it's too late. It's being a little bold. It's going with your gut. And it's practice. That's it. It happens. Sometimes it goes right. Sometimes it goes wrong. You take the feedback that came from it. You use that data to make a better decision next time. All right. I'm going to look and make sure I'm not missing anybody's question. And then I'm going to say goodbye. 
and you guys are going to let me know if this is something we should do again. All right. Hi, Katie. If I was more handsome, I would have done this last year. Um, helpful. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Judy, courage is pretty much all you need. Most of this stupid taking care of diabetes is just someone standing behind you saying, trust yourself. Sometimes, you know, like they say in that old joke, uh, a good friend is somebody who's standing next to you in prison when it's over. Uh, sometimes you just need somebody to say to you, hey, just go for it. Let's try it. What's the worst that could happen? And seriously, if you have a CGM on, what's the worst that could happen? You got to drink a juice? Big deal. You know? Uh, all right, guys. I thought this was great. Uh, if you liked it too, blah, blah, blah. Um, tell a friend next time. We, at one point, had 30 people on here. It's pretty cool. Uh, I'm glad I did this, and uh, we'll do it again. Next time, I will clean up that desk behind me. All right, see you guys later. Have a great weekend. Hey, don't forget, use the weekend to practice. It's the best time. You're home. You can make the same meals. And, um, and let me know how it goes. Everybody get back to me and tell me if anything we talked about here helped. Okay? I'm not a doctor. This is not medical advice. Okay, I hope there was something here that you enjoyed or found useful. If you did, I would follow the Facebook page for Arden's Day or for Juicebox Podcast so that when an event goes up next time, you'll know and maybe you can participate. Or drop me a line, let me know what you thought. Was it good? Was it bad? Was it too long, too short? Should it have been more focused on one or fewer topics? Did you like the conversational nature of it? Um, Etc. That's it for the talking, but I'm gonna let the theme play. Maybe you could sing along and try to make up words. And is that possible? And then, then diabetes. That's not a fun word to sing. But it's in the song, and now I don't know what to do. Boom. Bang. This. That. You gotta put the words in. I'm not doing it for you. Jeez. <laughs>